So late as the reign of Ptolemy Epiphanes, pretenders of native blood, one of whom was named Hamakis, are known to have advanced their claims to the throne of Egypt. Moreover, there was a book of prophecy current among the priesthood which declared that after the nations of the Greeks, the god Hasephi would create the chief who is to come. It will therefore be seen that, although it lacks historical confirmation, the story of the great plot formed to stamp out the dynasty of the Macedonian Lagidae and place Hamakis on the throne is not in itself improbable. Indeed, it is possible that many such plots were entered into by Egyptian patriots during the long ages of their country's bondage. But ancient history tells us little of the abortive struggles of a foreign race. The chant of Isis and the song of Cleopatra, which appear in these pages, are done into verse from the writer's prose by Mr. Andrew Lang, and the dirge sung by Charmion is translated by the same hand from the Greek of the Syrian Meliega. The Introduction In the recesses of the desolate Libyan mountains that lie behind the temple and city of Abydos, the supposed burying place of the Holy Osiris, a tomb was recently discovered, among the contents of which were the papyrus rolls whereon this history is written. The tomb itself is spacious, but otherwise remarkable only for the depth of the shaft which descends vertically from the rock-hewn cave that once served as the mortuary chapel for the friends and relatives of the departed to the coffin chamber beneath. This shaft is no less than eighty-nine feet in depth. The chamber at its foot was found to contain three coffins only, though it is large enough for many more. Two of these, which in all probability enclosed the bodies of the high priest Amenemhat and of his wife, father and mother of Hamakis, the hero of this history, the shameless Arabs who discovered them there and then broke up. The Arabs broke the bodies up. With unhallowed hands they tore the holy Amonim hat and the frame of her who had, as it is written, been filled with the spirit of the Hethors, tore them limb from limb, searching for treasure amidst their bones. Perhaps, as is their custom, selling the very bones for a few piastres to the last ignorant tourist who came their way, seeking what he might destroy. For in Egypt the unhappy... The living find their bread in the tombs of the great men who were before them. But as it chanced, some little while afterwards, one who is known to this writer and a doctor by profession passed up the Nile to Abydos and became acquainted with the men who had done this thing. They revealed to him the secret of the place, telling him that one coffin yet remained entombed. It seemed to be the coffin of a poor person, they said, and therefore, being pressed for time, they had left it unviolated. Moved by curiosity to explore the recesses of a tomb as yet unprofaned by tourists, my friend bribed the Arabs to show it to him. What ensued I will give in his own words, exactly as he wrote it to me. I slept that night near the temple of Seti, and started before daybreak on the following morning. With me were a cross-eyed rascal called Ali. Ali Baba, I named him. The man from whom I got the ring which I am sending you. And a small but choice assortment of his fellow thieves. Within an hour after sunrise we reached the valley where the tomb is. 
It is a desolate place, into which the sun pours his scorching heat all the long day through, till the huge brown rocks which are strewn about become so hot that one can scarcely bear to touch them, and the sand scorches the feet. It was already too hot to walk, so we rode on donkeys some way up the valley, where a vulture floating far in the blue overhead was the only other visitor, till we came to an enormous boulder polished by centuries of the action of sun and sand. Here Ali halted, saying that the tomb was under the stone. Accordingly, we dismounted, and, leaving the donkeys in charge of a fellah boy, went up to the rock. Beneath it was a small hole, barely large enough for a man to creep through. Indeed, it had been dug by jackals, for the doorway and some part of the cave were entirely silted up, and it was by means of this jackal hole that the tomb had been discovered. Ali crept in on his hands and knees, and I followed, to find myself in a place cold after the hot outside air, and, in contrast with the light, filled with a dazzling darkness. We lit our candles, and, the select body of thieves having arrived, I made an examination. We were in a cave the size of a large room, and hollowed by hand, the further part of the cave being almost free from drift dust. On the walls are religious paintings of the usual Ptolemaic character, and among them one of a majestic old man with a long white beard, who is seated in a carved chair holding a wand in his hand. Before him passes a procession of priests bearing sacred images. In the right-hand corner of the tomb is the shaft of the mummy pit, a square-mouthed well cut in the black rock. We had brought a beam of thornwood, and this was now laid across the pit and a rope made fast to it. Then Ali, who to do him justice is a courageous thief, took hold of the rope, and putting some candles into the breast of his robe, placed his bare feet against the smooth sides of the well, and began to descend with great rapidity. Very soon he had vanished into blackness, and the agitation of the cord alone told us that anything was going on below. At last the rope ceased shaking, and a faint shout came rumbling up the well, announcing Ali's safe arrival. Then, far below, a tiny star of light appeared. He had lit the candle, thereby disturbing hundreds of bats that flitted up in an endless stream, and as silently as spirits. The rope was hauled up again, and now it was my turn. But, as I declined to trust my neck to the hand-over-hand -hand method of descent, the end of the cord was made fast round my middle, and I was lowered bodily into those sacred depths. Nor was it a pleasant journey, for if the masters of the situation above had made any mistake, I should have been dashed to pieces. Also, the bats continually flew into my face and clung to my hair, and I have a great dislike of bats. At last, after some minutes of jerking and dangling, I found myself standing in a narrow passage by the side of the worthy alley, covered with bats and perspiration, and with the skin rubbed off my knees and knuckles. Then another man came down, hand over hand like a sailor, and, as the rest were told to stop above, we were ready to go on. Ali went first with his candle. Of course, we each had a candle, leading the way down a long passage about five feet high. 
At length the passage widened out, and we were in the tomb chamber. I think the hottest and most silent place that I ever entered. It was simply stifling. This chamber is a square room cut in the rock and totally devoid of paintings or sculpture. I held up the candles and looked round. About the place were strewn the coffin lids and the mummified remains of the two bodies that the Arabs had previously violated. The paintings on the former were, I noticed, of great beauty, though, having no knowledge of hieroglyphics, I could not decipher them. Beads and spicy wrappings lay around the remains, which I saw were those of a man and a woman. The head had been broken off the body of the man. I took it up and looked at it. It had been closely shaved, after death, I should say, from the general indications, and the features were disfigured with gold leaf. But notwithstanding this, and the shrinkage of the flesh, I think the face was one of the most imposing and beautiful that I ever saw. It was that of a very old man, and his dead countenance still wore so calm and solemn, indeed so awful a look, that I grew quite superstitious, though, as you know, I am pretty well accustomed to dead people, and put the head down in a hurry. There were still some wrappings left upon the face of the second body, and I did not remove them, but she must have been a fine large woman in her day. There, the other mummy, said Ali, pointing to a large and solid case that seemed to have been carelessly thrown down in a corner, where it was lying on its side. I went up to it and examined it. It was well made, but of perfectly plain cedar wood. Not an inscription, not a solitary...